I think it'd be just about impossible to enjoy a study in the Bible too much, too much enjoyment. But I have, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, the uh, study of First Peter, this first letter of the Apostle Peter. And we'll be right there in chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 uh, this morning. And so if you find your place there in the Bible, First Peter chapter 1, verses 3, I think I said 1 through 9, we'll start at verse 3. Um, the Apostle Peter, so he's, you know, you think, what's going through this man's mind? Well, the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, moved on these prophets and on these apostles to pen the word of God. So that makes this a special book, a special writing. And Peter is communicating encouragement to people there in the first century who, uh, who had received Christ. They have a love for Christ. They, they know what salvation is and they know who brings it. Yet they're, as he calls them there in the first verse, they're elect exiles. They're on the fringe of society. They're on the outskirts of the, the known world and... They've been pushed there. It's difficult for them. They're scattered, he says. So not all of them experience a camaraderie or close fellowship. They're out there. Little pockets of believers located in villages and hamlets and towns and cities. So Peter is writing to encourage them. And he's encouraging them with the reality of what they've received. And that would be salvation. Salvation through Jesus. Uh, this salvation is no tall tale. This salvation is not of any man's invention. This salvation that we speak of that we preach on, that we concern ourselves with, is a salvation that originates with a real God toward real people in real time. And it's a, it's a real experience. I think that needs to be said because we're not walking on planet earth uh, with just simply a mental assent that there's a God in heaven. We're not glorified deists. We believe that God is active in our lives. We also believe there's resistance from time to time. So it's, it's really, it really behooves us to look and to, to ask God to bring home to our hearts this word. So that we can be encouraged because something tells me that 
21st century Christians need as much encouragement as, as those Christians in the first century. So we'll read there, beginning with verse 3 and through verse 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a, that is beautiful language that is simply lifting up Jesus for who he is. He is Lord. He is Lord of heaven and earth. Who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that, so there's a purpose to the trials. The reason we know that is because of the so that there, there's a purpose to the resistance that we encounter in this life because we are elect exiles. We're chosen of God and we're here on the planet, but this is not our eternal home. He says, we're protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. That's some of you here. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. By the way, gold is perishable. He reminds us of that. Even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning when it's all said and done, God has the last word that the life we've lived, enduring trials will result not in praise to us, but in praise and glory and honor to him. And he, he goes on, verse 8, and though he says, you have not seen him. Now, the apostle Peter certainly saw Jesus. But he's writing to people who many have not seen him. They heard the gospel preached by this apostle, but they've not seen Jesus. He says, though you have not seen him, you what? You love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. He can't even find words for the joy that exists within the heart of the believer. It's just almost too much. It's overwhelming. He says, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the Apostle Peter encourages elect exiles by describing the same salvation blessings that he himself had received. Now we'll put it 
in context for you and I. 21st century believers experience the same salvation blessings that first century believers enjoyed. And what I'd like to do this morning is I would like to take a look at Peter's life. Say, well, you know, some of you are sitting there going, well, prove it. You know, we have the same salvation that the apostle Peter experienced, that he received. We have the same salvation blessings that those first century believers received and walked in and lived in and thrived in. Uh, We have that same salvation. We see it in Peter's life. That's how we're going to prove it. We're going to look at faith. I'll give you the outline here. Faith, hope, and love. All demonstrated in the heart, in the life of this apostle. And I I want us to see faith at work. Not just read it on a page but see it lived out in the life of Peter, the one who's writing, the one who's encouraging believers. And by looking at his life and seeing evidence of faith, by looking at the life of Peter and seeing evidence of hope, and by looking at his life and seeing evidence of love, that we'll have a picture of what that looks like in our lives. So uh, let's pray and then we'll... We've got some scriptures to look at. Father in heaven, what a beautiful day you've given us. And what a time. Lord, what a freedom we enjoy to open the word, to have a copy of your word. We thank you that you are a speaking God. That you have, you have told us throughout scripture of, of your great love and your great mercy and your great forgiveness your great righteousness, your great justice, your holiness, and you're altogether lovely. And we give you praise for this. Now, Lord, speak to us. Encourage our hearts today. Lord, that uh, we would walk before you in a manner that would please you. We uh, thank you. Lord, for what you're, what you're doing. We ask for your help at this time. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's, let's look at faith operating in the life of Peter. Let's go to Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Uh, this, is, uh, this is familiar to most. If it's, if it's not familiar to you, that's fine. You'll be familiar with it. And you'll grow to love this uh, account of this interaction between Jesus and the disciples, specifically the Apostle Peter. So Matthew 16, verse 13 through 20. Instructive for us. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because faith or flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, a couple things here. So Jesus says, you know, what do people say? What are they saying about me? And as you would expect, you're, there's different I mean, people say different things about Jesus. They did then, they do now. So they're saying, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So there's all kinds of things that people say about Christ. Everybody's got an opinion. Some say he's a good man. Some say he's a prophet. Some say this and that. Uh, We say what Peter says, that he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. He is God in the flesh. And this is evidence of faith. This is expressed through through Simon Peter. Jesus, and then after this, Jesus just unloads this wonderful teaching. It's amazing that when you express faith in Christ, he gives you more. He gives you more. Listen. I, I just want to, I'd shout it from the housetop, but I don't feel like getting up on the roof this morning. Listen, salvation is not the end. It's not like, okay, I believe, and we'll get to what the word means in the Greek. Good to go. Done. No, that's not it. Listen, salvation is the beginning with God. It is the beginning. It is a real beginning with God. And it's an expression there of faith in him. Notice verse 16. That's what we're looking at primarily here. You, he says to Jesus, are the Christ, the son of the living God. So what does it mean to believe in him? So many people think it's just a mental set. It's just from the neck up, a neck up religion of we just intellectually believe in him. But the Greek is different. The Greek word is more than just a mental ascent. It's uh, the word is pistuo. It means to trust something in particular. And to recognize and to, uh, to put that trust, in this case, in Jesus and abandon every other option. As the psalmist said a while ago, we're not going to trust in man. We're not going to trust in princes. We're going to trust in Christ. And at the moment of salvation, at the moment we believe in him and make that confession, we are going to walk after him. And we're going to grow in our faith. You know, Peter makes this confession of faith. 
And it's, it's beautiful and it's perfect, but his knowledge of, of the purpose of Christ in the earth was still incomplete. So at the moment of conversion, nobody is a know-it-all. We're all beginning our journey with Christ. And it is a journey of faith. So what does it mean to believe in him? It, may, it means to believe in who he is. He's the son of God. He is God in the flesh. He is our sovereign savior incarnate. God in the flesh. It means to believe in what he did. What did he do? Well, he left heaven. He left heaven. He came to earth. And he lived without sin. And he offered himself up on a Roman cross for you and me. That we would look to him in faith and be forgiven of our sin. That encapsulates Basically what he did for us. He lived sinlessly. He died in agony, shedding his blood on an old cross. He was taken down from that cross. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead and he lives forevermore. That's what he did. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And then thirdly, it is to believe in what he said. It's to believe his teachings. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He that believes in me shall never die. And, uh, and that's what he, do you believe that? We believe that Jesus spoke as no man ever spoke. He taught as no man ever taught. He brought Spiritual truth, eternal reality to heaven and to, to the people who received what he had to say. This is who Jesus is. Do you believe, I mean, truly believe in Jesus? I'm asking you. I'm asking you. Do you believe in Christ? He's the son of God. I mean, he's the one that we're going to stand before one day. So this is evidence of faith in Peter. Uh, are expressed through Peter toward Jesus. The other uh, example, and I just thought of this, this is good, Second Peter. And you don't need to turn there. I'm not going to turn there, but I'm going to say this. When he addresses those same people in his second letter, he says, we are of, the, of, the, of a like precious faith. So he recognizes that the faith he has in Christ is the faith they have in Christ. And the faith that Peter had in Christ and the faith that they have in Christ. Listen, it's the same faith that you and I live by today. We trust Jesus. We trust him for our eternal home. We trust him for our day-to-day -day existence. We trust him in all these ways. Do you believe in Jesus? Secondly, hope. Now, this was uh, this challenged me a little bit. Hope. Where do we see hope expressed uh, toward Jesus from Peter? Now, you thought of two places. See if you resonate with these. John chapter six, verses uh, 66 and 68. John six, verses 66 
and 68. There's a lot more that can be said on that Matthew 16. um, But we've said enough uh, to get the point across of the living faith. The vibrant faith that we have in Christ. Now we're on to hope. Hope is... uh, Hope is something uh, that we expect. It's a certain expectation of a future blessing. And, and in that, there is the idea of desire. So it's not just an, an, an intellectual thing. It is a, it's a reality to us. There is a, a desire in our heart to see what God has for us. That was expressed in 1 Peter chapter 1. You know, we have an inheritance. Where is it? It's in heaven. Who's it for? Well, he says it's reserved for you. It's got your name on it. It's not going to fade away, not going to corrupt, not going not to go away. But it's for you. So there's an expectation here. Well, we're in John 6. This is one of my favorite uh, uh, encounters with uh, Jesus and his disciples, specifically Peter here. And we're in verses 66 through 68. So Jesus has just taught. All right. And. And people left. Okay. So you can you imagine being one of the disciples and Jesus is out there. He's teaching. He is just. I mean, it's just amazing. And there's this huge following, just people everywhere. And he says a couple things and all of a sudden. The people start turning. Instead of facing Jesus, they're facing toward home or somewhere else. They're turning their backs and they're walking away. And the disciples are. What do we do with this, Jesus? They're all leaving. So pick it up there in verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew. And they weren't walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Isn't that interesting? Uh, Jesus, Jesus evangelized like no evangelist. Do you want to go too? Do you want to leave? He knows the questions to ask. Simon Peter answered him. We would expect that, right? He's, he, he's got, he's, he's vocal. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed, there's the faith, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I... Myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil. 
Now, what's interesting about that, he said, now one of you is a devil, but he didn't tell them at that time who it was. So they're all looking at each other like, what is going on here? But what we want to focus on is Peter's answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? I mean, the way I read this, it's, it's like Peter is saying, Lord, our hope is in you. We have believed in you. We are hoping in you. You are our hope. And we see the narrowness of his faith and we see the narrowness of, of his expectation of future blessing. Where else are we going to go? Lord, there, Lord. He's the Lord. To whom shall we go? I mean, was, was Peter and his disciples supposed to go back to the Pharisees? The ritualists? Were they supposed to go there and find life? No. We're going to find life there. Were they supposed to go to the Sadducees? The religious liberals of the day. Probably one of the more uh, wealthy segments of the population, the Sadducees. Very well educated, but they did not believe the word of God. They did not believe in miracles. They did not believe in angels. They were known for what they didn't believe. They weren't going to go back to the Sadducees. Well, were they going to go to the Greek philosophers or were they going to turn toward Roman or Greek mythology? Where else are they going to go? What do they say? You alone have the words of eternal life. His hope is in Jesus. Now, I mean, where, where are we going to go? We're going to continue to follow Jesus. But, I mean, and where else would we turn? Where? The government? Big corp? No. Jesus, and Jesus alone, has the words of eternal life. And then there's one other. I want to, this is a good one right here. Mark 6, and that was good. This is good too. Mark 16, verse 7. We're talking about hope. And we're seeing it expressed through the apostle. We're bringing, we're trying to get across today. This is real. It was real for Peter and his readers then. And it's real for you and I now. They had a vibrant faith. They had a living hope. You and I have a vibrant faith in Christ and we have a living hope and earnest expectation of a future good. Mark 16, verse 7. All of us understand the fact that Peter had denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. So between the cross, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus... Peter is, he's miserable. He has let his Lord down. This one who said, I will, hey, others may forsake you. I will die for you. Said all those things. This is resurrection. 
We'll begin in verse 5. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe. And they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. But go, here it is, tell his disciples, here it is, and Peter. And Peter. He says, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So we see Jesus as risen from the dead. And this angel is giving instruction to the disciples to go tell the disciples that were there to go tell those that weren't there yet and had no idea of the happenings, the goings on there, but go tell his disciples and Peter. That had to bring so much hope to Peter when he heard that he had been catched here, singled out by God for encouragement, for encouragement. There's Peter. He's just fallen short of the glory of God. He has just denied the Lord. He is a miserable man. He doesn't know if he'll be received. He doesn't, he doesn't have any idea. He, is, he's, he can't get out of his own way. He's let everybody down. He's not lived up to his promises. But he is going to hear from the disciples who were there that he was singled out. Go tell his disciples and Peter. This is the Lord reaching out to Peter. This is the Lord desiring fellowship with Peter. This is the Lord restoring hope to Peter's heart after he had failed the Lord miserably. God ever singled you out? Yeah. Yeah. You're the object of his love, his affection. He cares about you. He's reaching out. Well, we'll go to love. John 21, verses 15 through 17. Love. Now, there's some instances in Peter's life that we... Uh, we won't see much, much love expressed out of that disciple. We might see some pride in some of his statements and comments. But this is post-resurrection. This is after the resurrection. And this is one of the appearances where Jesus, resurrected Jesus, appears to his disciples. This, is, this was real then, Jesus appearing. And we'll, um, well, we'll read there from 15 through uh, 17. This is, this is the Lord speaking uh, to Peter and Peter replying. So when they'd finished breakfast, 
So there was, I love this little story. The picture is Jesus is on the shore and he's lit a fire and he's prepared a meal for his disciples. Resurrected Lord. So when he's preparing the meal, those are nail scarred hands preparing the meal. There he is, resurrection on the shore. The disciples did what? They went fishing. That's pretty interesting. You know, the most momentous time in human history, Jesus rising from the dead. And these guys, and who had the idea? It was Peter. He says, I'm going fishing. They just didn't know what else to do. I'm going fishing. So they fished all night and they were expert fishermen. This was their trade. Remember when they were called, especially Peter, he left the nets, followed Jesus. They're experts. They fished all night long. How how many fish they catch? They didn't catch any. None. And so there's this, there's this figure over on the shore and he tells them, you need to let your net down on the other side of the boat. Now that, that person on the other side, on the shore, that was telling them where to fish was a carpenter. And normally you wouldn't think a carpenter would tell a professional fisherman where to fish, but he did. And he knows what he's talking about. So when the carpenter, this carpenter tells you something, you need to do it. Right? We like to do the same thing over and over, getting the same results. Well, they obeyed the carpenter, the resurrected Lord Jesus, and they brought in, I think it was 153 fish. Well, Peter goes to the, he goes to the shore, he dives in. And then we have this close encounter between Jesus and Peter. This is where we're at here in verse 15. They just finished breakfast. There it is. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Uh Uh-oh. Remember when Peter was called, Jesus addressed him as Simon Barjona, which is Simon, son of John. Now we're back to Simon, son of John. And we just read back in Matthew 16 that Jesus had changed his name. Because he said, who who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, what? And you are Peter. Oh, you're a, a rock. You're a small rock, a stone. Jesus had changed his name. But now we're back to Simon Barjona. That speaks volumes to Peter. Simon, son of John. There it is. He didn't call him Peter. Now, John, John, the apostle, the writer of this gospel, says that this is an interaction that took place between Jesus and Simon Peter. But Jesus calls him Simon, son of John. He says, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And the word he uses there is agape. He said to him, so Peter's reply, this is his reply. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, the Greek's beautiful as different words for love. So there's a different word here. 
Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter says, I phileo you. Meaning I have a less, it's more of a friendship love rather than more of an unconditional love. It's just friendly terms. It's a lower order of love. And then Jesus said to him, what? Tend my lambs. The word tend there is just to provide basically food and water for the lambs. So provide food and water for my lambs. He said to him again, a second time, Simon, son of John. There it is again, Simon, son of John. What happened to Peter? Well, what happened to Peter? He lost his rock status when he denied the Lord. Now, what's going ha- to happen to Peter? This is what's important. And, it, and this is a beautiful scene on the shore there of the Sea of Galilee. And it really is expressive of the heart of God for his people. So he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now that word love there, same one, agape, do you agape me? And he, he said to him, yes, Lord. So he's, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And there it is again, phileo, I love you. I have a a friendship, lower order kind of love for you. Not the agape kind, but the phileo kind. He said to him, here it is, shepherd my sheep. Now shepherd my sheep is different than tend my lambs. Tend my lambs is food and water. Shepherd my sheep is take over the, you know, oversight of my flock. That means food, water, direction, leading, speaking, wisdom imparted, discipline for that wayward lamb. That's what he said there. Not only feed them with food and water, but administrate the flock. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, there it is again. Do you love me. Here, Jesus uses the word phileo, the lower order love. And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, and this is it right here. This is so different. This is a different Peter here. This isn't the Peter that says, I'll die for you. Everybody else forsake you. I'll be there. I'll be, I'll be your right hand man. No, this is different Peter. Notice what he says. Because we would have expected the old Peter to say, well, yeah, I love you. I, of course I love you. I love you. I love you more than anybody. That's what Peter would have said. Not now. He says, you know all things. He just throws himself on the sovereignty of God. And he says, you know all things. You know, you know That I love you. That I, what? Phileo you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Three things happen here. Jesus reminds Peter that he denied him. Jesus restores Peter because he will be Peter. He's not going to, he's not going to continue to be Simon Barjona, Simon, son of John. He will be Peter, the rock, small rock, 
pebble and he will follow the Lord even after the Lord ascends and he will stand on the day of Pentecost and preach the gospel. And he will be one who not only shepherds the sheep, but he will tend the sheep. He will love the sheep. So he reminds him of the denial where he was. He restores him. And then he shows, and this is really important. He shows Peter what it means to love him. What does it mean to love Jesus? How's that expressed? Well, he's not here. He's up there. So love, he's, he's just telling Peter what love does. What does love do? Love cares for people. Love encourages the flock. Love enjoys fellowship with the flock. So I trust today that we've seen faith, In the life of Peter, hope in the life of Peter and love expressed through the life of Peter. Um, And that you and I will continue to live out our faith in Christ with a living hope and an ever increasing love for the people of God, for the flock of God. And through this, we will bring him glory and honor. Father in heaven, we thank you for the day. I ask, Lord, right now, your blessing on each one here. Lord, that you would continue to work forth your purposes in our life. Lord, that we would grow in you, that we would grow in our faith, grow in our hope, and our love for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.